0: You look forward to it every week here on 710 ESPN Seattle. It is time to get in the cage. It's brought to you by the Emerald Queen Casino. It's been quite some time since we've had a chance to have a conversation with this man, but you know him, you love him. He is the voice of the UFC, and he's with us on the Issaquah Pest Control Hotline. He is the one, the only John Anik. John, how are you, man? I'm doing well, man. Get in the cage. It's like I spend so much time with
1: fighters, it kind of makes me want to get in the cage, but uh, (laughs) not, not enough to actually
0: get in there. Yeah, you, you see it up close and personal enough to know what happens in the cage. So, eh, not a huge desire for a lot of people. But, uh, hey, a lot of stuff I wanted to hit with you. And, and you know, I somebody had a, somebody sent me a tweet over the weekend, you know, talking about this this trilogy with Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier, which is coming up on the 10th of July. And saying, you know, as, as excited as they are as an MMA geek like me and like you and everybody else, that they feel like it, it doesn't have the steam that the first two had, more specifically the second one. And I, I thought about it and thought, yeah, maybe there is something to that, that it doesn't quite have the the anticipation, perhaps. I'm not sure. Do you feel that? I know you're on the inside, and you, you can't wait to be there Cade's side. But just, I don't know, are you able to, to get a sense of it from the outside and feel like this is bigger, not as big as it's been in the past? What do, you, what do you think about the buildup of this third matchup?
1: Well, maybe I'm too close to it, and hopefully this doesn't sound like promotional hyperbole, Bob, but – this feels bigger. I mean, I can't, I have people just dying for tickets, right? It's the perfect storm. Connor's on the marquee. You have T-Mobile Arena open to us, crowd in Vegas for the first time since March of 2020. So it's bananas, right? Like my life hasn't slowed down. It's just been total chaos for me. And that's usually a pretty good indicator of of how the pay-per-view is trending and everything else. So it's, as sought after a UFC ticket as I can imagine. And the thing is, the Fight Island experience in January was just crazy all around. It was such an intoxicating environment. And then all of a sudden, Conor McGregor, the biggest superstar in MMA history, comes and fights there. And that felt huge, but we didn't have fans. And mm. now Conor McGregor has been on the wrong end of a knockout for the first time like that in the UFC. And uh, it just adds a crazy backdrop. Conor needs this fight. Otherwise, he's like 1-3 at 55 in the UFC. So... I don't know, man. For me, this feels absolutely huge for Connor and Dustin and the sport.
0: Well, and I I, I agree with you in that I I can't wait to see it. I was just wondering from the outside to the casual fan if it seemed as big, but in terms of what's on the line, I think you nailed it and you you hit what I wanted to ask you next, and that is about Connor and what what does this do if he if he doesn't come away with a win here? Is he still a guy? I mean, listen, I I, I get such a kick out of him. I know people love him or they hate him. I love the guy. I think he's a brilliant marketer. He knows exactly what he's doing, but he's got to win. Uh, and as you said, if he loses, that's three of his past four fights he, he, he will have lost with the one win coming up against what most people look at as a diminished version of Cowboy Cerrone. So should he lose this fight, where does that put him in the landscape of things? Is he still a guy you think is going to have a tremendous draw? Does he have to you know drop back down in the rankings in terms of the opponents he's looking at? What, what does it mean to him should he lose?
1: I think his drawing power, Bob, is pretty bulletproof, but he's back for legacy, and I think it's easy for me to sort of appreciate that part of it, right? And a lot of people have a hard time with that. He could easily just put his feet up and do whatever and still make a ton of money just based upon his brand, but he's not going to enjoy his retirement nearly as much were he to add some MMA signature wins. I mean, to beat a 2021 version of Dustin Poirier is a huge legacy win at lightweight for Conor McGregor, and he's back for legacy. So, yeah, he'll cash the check, but – he is leaving no stone unturned, trying to beat this man. And I think the advantage McGregor has is that they did fight seven months ago, and now he has the benefit of that and can try to use that to his disposal, parlayed with his unbelievably special skills, mostly on the feet, you know, in terms of the distance and the power and everything else. Um, but, yeah, man, the pressure's on. Like, there's no doubt about it. The pressure is on from a legacy standpoint. Um, if they're all must-win, this one is especially so.
0: Let, let me ask you about a guy that a lot of people attach to Connor and that 's Nate Diaz. We just saw him in there with Leon Edwards. It was a fight you know for we're being honest that Nate did very little, very little for about four and a half rounds and then he lands the big punch and he 's a punch away from from turning the tide of a fight that really wasn 't that competitive if we 're being on in my opinion. Yet I find myself arguing with people on Twitter about, you know, well, he was he should have won or, you know, 30 more seconds. He wins. I'm thinking, oh, yeah, that's great. You're right. Maybe 30 more. But that they have 25 minutes to work with. That's how it goes. They're five minute rounds. The the the, the Nate Diaz fan is an interesting fan to me. And, and, you know, he's a guy who who rarely admits that he lost. Even if he gets tuned up, his fans are sort of blind to what they see in the cage at times. I get a kick out of him, but I'm also not a delusional fan where I, can, I can't I can look at the fight and go, yeah, he did a lot of posing, a lot of gesturing and posturing and did very little in the way of effective fighting until he landed that shot and then posed and postured after that rather than jump on Edwards. What's your takeaway from Diaz, what you saw in that Edwards fight and just sort of the, the, the weird hold he has on his fan base?
1: Well, I'd agree with part of what you say in terms of intimating that he is not an elite welterweight or a top-five welterweight right now. I'm not sure that he has proven that. But I think his fan base is so wide-ranging that it does extend beyond those who you might classify as delusional, you know. Um, But he's just a a special athlete and fighter and martial artist that seems to resonate with our roster as much as he resonates with – you know, your average young man in his mom's basement talking <laughs> trash on the internet, you know? Um And in, I just feel like he wasn't necessarily in a whole lot of danger, but, like, my handicap of that fight with Leon Edwards is Nate's probably going to get cut and it's going to play a role in the fight, and thankfully it didn't play a huge role in the fight. Um But, yeah, I mean, he is... If Connor is one. He is almost 1A in terms of our UFC stars right now. Connor's one. Nate Diaz is two. Jorge Masvidal is three. And Adesanya or whomever else is four, Amanda Nunez is a distant four. Um, So whatever he's doing seems to be resonating with the fan base. And and it's interesting to think about what the narrative would be had he not landed that seminal blow late in the fight. Because otherwise it would have been, you know, losing maybe 21 of 25 minutes, you know, rather handily. Uh, And then where do you go from there? And instead, the world seems to be his oyster, you know.
0: It is pretty interesting that one punch can just change the fortunes of somebody, even when they still lose the fight. It's just, it's, it's a remarkable thing to watch, and I do enjoy him. I do actually get a kick out of him and look forward to his fights. But I'm just not on the level where I can pretend that, hey, man, this was a knockdown dragout fight for four and a half rounds, and he was that close. No, it wasn't right. really, wasn't really close at all. You know, if, if we're being honest right. about it, but Hey, I, right. one one thing I, I really want to get your take on, which is, is become such a phenomenon. And that is, you know, seeing these crossover bouts with, you know, boxer versus MMA star or former MMA star or boxer or MMA star versus YouTuber. And now we're seeing Rashad Evans who has decided to come out of retirement. So he wants to compete in an MMA or boxing event in the near future. And he lists Roy Jones Jr., who's, uh, I believe, 52 years old. He also brings up one of the Paul brothers. I think Logan Paul might be the one he brought up. But you, you got Tyron Woodley, who's set to fight one of the Paul brothers. We saw Ben Askren. We saw uh, – I'm, I'm not – John, I'm, I, I keep hearing people saying, well, you know, it's not bad for boxing or it's not bad for MMA because it's bringing a casual fan to the sport that otherwise wouldn't watch it. And I'm looking at that going, that, but that doesn't represent the sport. I don't think they're going to watch one of these fights and go, oh, that's what MMA is like? Color me present. I'm going to tune in now. It's not a representation really of either sport to where I believe you've converted a new fan because of what they saw with you know, Floyd versus Paul or Ben Askren versus Paul or what, what we might see with Tyron Woodley. Where, where are you at with these these fights?
1: I'm kind of taking them on a fight-by-fight basis. As somebody who got into mixed martial arts coverage with a a boxing background, hosting a boxing radio show, I really don't buy boxing pay-per-views except for a few times a year. But, like, I'll buy Jake Paul versus Tyron Woodley because it's not an exhibition. Whereas Floyd Mayweather versus Logan Paul, I have no interest. If there are no judges and a decision's not going to be rendered, you know, I don't watch preseason NFL, right? So I'm not – I mean, I do watch that, actually, but I don't watch preseason NBA, for example, you know. So, for me, the Ben Askren-Jake Paul fight, like, I won't cuss, but what a joke, right? I mean, you're, yes. you send in, essentially, one of the ten worst boxers-slash-strikers in UFC history to fight a guy in Jake Paul who is a professional boxer who's training in the discipline. You know, I don't, I'm, not, I'm trying to be efficient with my answer, but my, my, my thesis statement on Jake Paul is that he does have legitimate professional boxing aspirations, and he works really damn hard. So I'm excited to see him box Tyron Woodley, but that's just one individual fight. Largely, I don't have time for most of the noise. I don't believe in Logan like I might believe in Jake. Um, but I, I can appreciate at least the work ethic and and the the desire to uh, to pursue it, at least for both of the Paul brothers.
0: Hey, uh, one other thing I wanted to hit with you, and that is the interim heavyweight title fight that will be taking place between Derek Lewis and Cyril Ghan, uh, coming up in August. The, the back and forth, listen, Dana going back and forth with anybody is no surprise. It's what he does. Um, but seeing the back and forth with him and the manager, manager of, of, of uh, Francis and Ghan, it was interesting. And they, and they make some valid points about how long the you know, the title would sit idle when Stipe was the champ, you know, how much time there was between fights versus this. And, you know, all of a sudden there's an urgency to an interim fight, you know, because, you know, who couldn't fight exactly when they wanted. What, what do you think of the idea of an interim fight as quickly as it's, it seems to be coming up?
1: Well, it's certainly surprising from a competition standpoint, but not if you've been working for the promotion for 10 years as I have been and we're going to Houston for a big pay-per-view on August 7th. And you and I don't know the inner workings of the negotiations in terms of Francis and September versus August and how it all would have played out. I do believe that Francis did the right thing to win the belt and bring it home to Cameroon immediately, like that was the right move. And I think at the end of the day, Uh, as we gain distance from this, we'll realize that the only thing that really does change, however, unfortunately, is that when Francis first defends his title, he'll do a stare down, and the other guy will have a belt on the shoulder, which I guess is not ideal, given how long Stipe went between defenses. But, um, you know, it's hard, man, right? It's hard sometimes when half your divisions go six or eight months without a championship fight, and Lorenzo Fertitta, as you and I have talked about, always wanted at least two title fights on every pay-per-view. So the math is the math um certainly i was as caught off guard by it as the average mma fan but uh hate to quote bill belichick on your airwaves it kind of is what it is
0: <laughs> what uh, well the, the the hate is dissipated for belichick after brady left and you know they didn't do much last <laughs> season so it's not quite as steamy as it used to be but we'll see i'm sure he could get right back there um hey in, in your opinion how does john jones fit into all this john it's it's you know we see the videos he's posting of him working out lifting weights he's gaining weight but he's talking about no urgency and he's taking his time and there's beef between him and Dana ultimately how do you, how do you see his reemergence into the into the promotion into the heavyweight division you think it's a year away do you think it's shorter longer what do, what do you think of future of John Jones
1: well there's no there's no tune up fight at heavyweight for John Jones, right? Because the, all these guys in the top five are going to be dangerous. So I feel like it's got to be an undisputed UFC heavyweight title shot, you know? And I think that will. Go a long way in coaxing Johnny Bones to sign on the dotted line for whatever the guaranteed millions are. I don't know that he's going to get the number that he wants, but I do believe that if he's guaranteed an undisputed heavyweight title fight, even if it comes against that, the monster that is Francis Ngannou, uh, he will take that fight. But anything short of that, I just think, don't don't think makes sense. You know, the guy's got 15 championship banners hanging in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and he's the consensus greatest of all time. I want to see him fight Francis Ngannou or whoever the UFC's is on the speed heavyweight
0: champion is. So
1: hopefully uh, in terms of a timeline, you know, I don't think it's going to be this year, uh, but hopefully within 12 months.
0: Hey, last one before I let you go. Again, we're speaking with John Anik, the voice of the UFC here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Last one. I'm, I'm curious how much you pay attention to former UFC fighters now in other promotions. I mean, I'm looking at like Anthony Pettis in the PFL. He's 0-2 in the PFL. You'll see Demetrius suffered a pretty interesting loss in in, in one championship, not something we ever saw in the UFC. And Rory McDonald losing where, where he's been in Bellator and different places like that. I'm wondering if you look at those and say, you know, the competition, the gap in competition isn't what people think it is from promotion to promotion or... We're looking at diminished versions of once superstar fighters, elite fighters when they were in the UFC, but now we're seeing older, maybe slower, not as durable versions of these guys. Where are where you at with those?
1: Well, it's interesting because Anthony Pettis fought Clay
0: Collard in his PFL debut, and it was
1: a back-and-forth fight. Collard won the fight for sure, but Pettis had some real big moments, and if he knocks out Clay Collard with a head kick late, whole narrative changes. Pettis is in the playoffs, right? So I think they're all case-by-case. Case. I mean, you make sure is not, it's certainly still elite. And you're right. I mean, there's definitely elite talent outside the UFC. I think the their big advantage for us is and I like that I can say us actually, um, is that we have essentially eighty to ninety percent of the top ten in all of these divisions. So most of the best guys are under our banner, but certainly selectively there are a handful of guys that uh on any given Saturday night could could cause real havoc in the UFC. But thankfully, uh a lot of the best guys in the world are uh are in the big show.
0: He is the voice of the UFC, John Annick, Always a pleasure to speak with him. John, really appreciate you taking the time. It's good to catch up again after such a long absence. And uh, I, I will be talking to you again soon. Enjoy the fights coming up.
1: Thank you, my man. You do the same.